You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking a beat or something, and yeah. punch him right in the face. Punch the little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast, and yet to bring up not one sport. <laughs> I mean, last time we're going to do this, we have no more football left. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and... Uh, I'm glad we got one team we still can talk about, and that's, of course, the Benedictine Military Cadets going for their fourth championship, uh, fourth in Danny, Danny Britt's tenure, 2014, 2016, 2019, 2020, 21. Uh, so it's going to be something special to watch. Yeah, I mean, like, we're going to get into all of, like, the historical stuff that's surrounding a state championship game, but the fact that Benedictine is back here again. It feels familiar, but it's still exciting at the same time, right? I'm sure for BC fans that this doesn't get old. Oh, it's always exciting. And, uh, you know, listen to uh, your Hot Grits podcast, which is part of the Coaches Quarters Sports Network. And, uh, you know, you talked about the community backing Benedictine. I mean, that's what it's all about. We watch these kids grow from the youth leagues to middle school to high school. You know, they all know each other. If you're not rooting for a kid that's from Savannah, whether they play at Benedictine, Savannah Christian, uh, Johnson High School, there's something wrong. And that's what makes this fun. Since I came here in 1995, I can never understand why some people won't root for other schools. But it's time to come together because this, this is Savannah. These are kids from the 912 from the seaport. I just don't understand why people can't you know, back each other up and they hope to see teams lose when they're from where they live. Yeah, well, I'm of the mindset that you can't, pick and choose the way you feel or who you want to win. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like, like either you want BC to win or you don't, and you can't really make yourself change the way you feel. But like, I've always thought if it's a rival school and they're in the playoffs, like maybe it's a little natural to root for them to lose in the playoffs. But once you reach the state title game, and it's just one team left from your city that has a chance to bring back a state title to the city at that point, I think you have to root for the team. And, and I do hope that the city of Savannah, like all these other coaches and players and, and fans are, are watching the game on Friday rooting for BC. I don't know if that'll be true, but I hope that's the case. You know, I could see during the season. Okay. I could see during the season and you're in region play. Of course you are looking for certain teams to lose, but like you said, when you get to the playoffs, the playoffs, okay, you should be backing the, the, the team from your city, from your state. Uh, you know, you know, I understand pro and college and all that, but these are our local kids. This is fundamentally where it all starts, where these kids go on to college. They go on to the pros. I don't know. I'll just never understand why, you know, the other night, well, I hope BC loses. Why? Why do you hope BC? Oh, they're always winning. Everybody hates a winner. But you know what? These are the kids from our town. I'm not going to give you any names. Who said it to me? It just annoys me. I'm going to root for BC. I'm going to root for every, whatever team's in the playoffs. And it just so happens if it's my school going against your school in the playoffs, I'm going to root for my school. But when it's one team left, one man standing, come on. It's all about the SAB. It's all about the Seaport. And when you say that, Carl, I think everyone knows that you're genuine. That's genuinely how you feel. But I don't like, I mean, I don't judge or I don't think people are wrong to root 
against teams. Like, I'm not going to sit up here and say that I don't root against teams sometimes. State championships are different, though. They are. This is a different level. All right, talking about state championships and, you know, the old guy, you know, I've been here since 95. I wasn't born and bred here like you, but uh, 75 years in Georgia high school, we haven't had back-to-back winners. I got to give a big shout-out to the uh, Memorial Day School Matadors because in Georgia Independent Schools Association, that's another thing that I'm going to do quickly with you, okay? They went back-to-back in uh, 08 and 09, and then I think they won 3 and 11 in, in 11, 12, and 13. Michael Thompson did a great job, six championships. So we have had it, but we've never had it in the Georgia High School State Association. That's another thing. We don't – and you didn't, you, you didn't realize it because you're hyped. You're writing your article. You're talking about it. But a lot of people don't give those schools in GISA, or now it's the Georgia Independent Athletic Association, or SKIZA, the South Carolina Independent States Association. So St. Andrews won a couple of football titles there in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, they've won volleyball. They've won – I mean, so these little schools – that don't play in Georgia high school deserve the same respect as the Georgia high school state association season. And you had nothing to do with that. I mean, I can understand you, you just, you know, you were concentrating on Georgia high school state association. Yeah. And, but I mean, isn't it also fair to like, can't you respect those schools while also saying that it's not the same level as GHSA? I mean, what do you, it, mean? It, you got, like, Saint, I don't, I don't you got think... St. Andrews last night kicking butt on the basketball court. Well, but no, yeah, that's true in basketball. But for instance, in GIAA, you can win a state title uh, by winning two games or three games total in the playoffs. Uh, if it's a 10 team bracket, there's a Skiza uh, classification or division where you only have to win two games to reach the state championship game. I mean, it, it's, I give it the same amount of respect, but it's different. And, and that, I guess that's what I was saying. But, but, but I was is saying, it, is it Memorial Day School or St. Andrews or Bethesda or, uh, you know, anybody else we can think of? Is it their fault? There's only three or four schools. No, uh, you it's know. not their fault. But do you think if BC did, if they won the amount of championships that Memorial Day did, do you think that that would be equally as impressive? I mean, you're talking to the coach. You know me. I'm a, I'm a homer altogether. It's I impressive. Like no, it's impressive. No matter. It's impressive to me. No matter what level they're on. I mean, you football. I mean, if you could do it six years in a row, like your little girls basketball team, you win a championship. I'm gonna love on you if you come back and do it again next year. I hear you. Listen, I love state titles for Savannah, no matter what direction they come from. But I will, just for people for reference here, I wrote the column in Connect Savannah, trying to. Because in my mind, it feels like we've had a bunch of GHSA back-to-back state championships in football, basketball, or baseball. And I guess it's because we've had a lot of teams get really close. But in fact, it's been a long, long time. Um, and of course, it's BC that has a shot to break that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just. But that's just the me. point of the column, though, right? <laughs> so we can get talking about it. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. There's always pros, there's always cons. People take different sides. That's what it's all about. But yes, way back in, uh, you know, uh, Savannah High School, the Blue Jackets, uh, which you know always has been, which I hated the CN, has always been BC's main rival. But you know that's gone out due to the classifications and all that other stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so yeah, that, that's just a touch base on that. Okay. All right, so we're going to do this quick. We don't want to be here all night. We don't want to spend 40, uh, 50 minutes on this. But last week, recap, Benedictine, Benedictine, Benedictine. I walked in uh, right before halftime. I, of course, you were up in the booth the whole time in that nice, cozy uh, room next to Pat Rossner. 
And uh, it was 28 nothing when I walked in there. I mean, of course, as soon as I got out of my basketball game, jumped in the car, put on the golden voice himself, uh, Kevin Thomas and his sidekick, Christian Gokel. And I couldn't believe it, it was 21 nothing when I walked in the stadium. They scored uh, the fourth touch to make it 28 nothing. What was it? 42, uh, 35 nothing at halftime, 42 7 before anything got going. Yeah, 21 nothing after one quarter, uh, 35 nothing at halftime, and then 42 to 7 at one point late, yeah, after three quarters. And then uh, the fourth then, quarter was running clock. Yeah, and then Troop uh, put up two touch, two nice plays, by the way, two nice touchdowns, yes. but it was against BC's. I would say maybe half of their second unit and half of their third unit defensively because it was a running clock, like you said. But I thought BC played – and I've seen them live, what, like six times this year in person. It was by far their most complete game, by far. And there were still times when Troop, Carl, would have four or five plays in a row that were your basic run plays right up the gut, quick hitters up the gut. And they were gashing them at times for seven, 10 yards a play, but it was sort of bend, don't break. And that formula for BC's defense and troop just wore down uh, very quickly. And that's what BC tends to do to teams. It, it, it wears on you quickly when, when you realize what you're up against. Well, you know, I think on the other side, you know? Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, most of those yards came in the fourth quarter. I mean, uh, you know, like you said, uh, they held BC held uh, Troop County to uh, 94 total yards rushing. Uh, Troop County did throw the ball on them, 238 yards. But we'll talk about who they're playing uh, this week. Who doesn't really like to throw the ball? But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Teo Todd. I mean, the kid was left out on the island. If you ask me, I didn't see anybody else there on that other team on the other side on Troop County that was going to make a difference like that kid could have made. Uh, he took uh, Carl. He took a beating too. It's it's you know how there are some times where a quarterback's running, uh, Gurner used to be good at this, where at the last second he, get, he can kind of just lean into the hit and he gets tackled, but it's just a basic tackle. He finds a way to avoid the huge hit. Teo Todd was just getting bounced around by the BC defense. He still managed to get his numbers because he's a good right. player, obviously, but, I mean, he, he had no absolutely no chance uh, to do much of anything like when he dropped back for passes, he was almost looking to run pretty like pretty quickly after the snap. I, I BC's defense, Carl has been good all year, but the emergence of Cody Brinson over the last two to three weeks uh, on the outside as basically, a, you know, what he's become as a shutdown corner uh, has really, really changed the look of what they can do. And, and by that, I mean, like, all the stuff we talk about with, like, containing a quarterback with your defensive ends and your linebackers, right. the way that Cody Brinson's playing on the outside, they can sort of leave him on an island. He's got five interceptions. He's also got almost 60 tackles. He had – how many tackles did he have at cornerback last week? 11 tackles, three pass breakups, Carl. So he's caught fire of late. And then Wilkes Albert, the linebacker, 16 tackles last week. He's the guy that Pat Rossiter is calling on almost every play. Well, you had Albert come in with 16. Glover came in with 15. Uh, Brinson had 11. Uh, Hardy had nine. Uh, Scroggins had eight. Brian had eight. So the nucleus of that defense was there all night long for uh, Benedictine. But like you said, Brinson's been uh, you know a, a diamond in the rough that we didn't think of early in the season. 
Yeah, and I think like it's. I mean, maybe it's not that he's like a shocking surprise to like the BC coaching staff. I just think that maybe like a lot of the responsibility was handled by Baker last year with the tackles or Brian last year with the interceptions. So now he's getting a lot of play. A lot of people are coming his way. Like the teams are, are coming his way in order to avoid Zaquan Brian and, and maybe, you know, Wilkes, Wilkes Albert too in the middle, but Brinson. Yeah. He's essentially a shutdown corner now. And nobody expected that before the season. I don't think. And you know, all of them, I mean, there was seven tackles. BC had seven tackles for losses in that game. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, that's pretty impressive, if you ask me. Yeah, and, and really, like, there were a lot of times where Todd was scrambling and he gained maybe one yard or got to the line. So it could have been even more than that. If, if, this week's going to be different, and we'll talk about it in a second. But, but, man, from start to finish, they were ready to go last week. So, and they did that defensively without Baker, who got hurt right early in the on. game. Early in yeah. the game, but he should be back for this game. That's the that's the word, and and they would love him back because obviously playing a team like Cedartown, they're going to have to make a lot of tackles. They're going to be forced to make a lot of tackles one on one. And so a guy like Baker coming back, it would be huge. It'd be hard to imagine Bryce Baker missing a game like this. No, I think he'll he'll get whatever I think it's an ankle. He'll get it a high ankle sprain. He'll get he'll have that heavily uh, he'll have that heavily taped and ready to go. So uh, yeah, or else overall, he'll just play on one ankle. Overall, I just want to say you asked me for a prediction. I was a lot closer than you are. I I said thirty three fourteen, and you said twenty eight. What did you say? Twenty eight seventeen. I think I had it something like yeah twenty eight seventeen, and I looked at Andy Rock, who I was sitting next to in the press box, and it was twenty one nothing after three. And I said, I'm going to need Danny Britt to slow down. I'm going to need A.J. DePhillips in this offense to slow down if, if my prediction is going to be correct because they went past that like halfway through the second quarter. Uh, you should have said the old guy was right. Okay, well, I beat you two weeks ago, though, so we'll see who gets it right this week. <laughs> I know. You were, you, you were, you were uh, two out of three. I was one out of three. So, Well, this one's for all the marbles this week. Once again, we're both part of that Coach's Corner Sports Network. Check me out every Saturday morning on the internets, whether it be Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter. This man right here, you can get him every Tuesday uh, on Hot Grits Podcast. And, of course, writing for Connects Founder. And then, of course, uh, you know, doing a great job with me for the Prep Sports Report. All right, second half of the show. We, uh, you know, we're already gone 18 minutes. I can't believe this. Uh, we're oh, talk I about can. We do this every week. We always <laughs> go over. All right. The Class 4A, Georgia High School State Association's Class 4A State Championship at Center Park Stadium. Tomorrow at 3.30, the Benedict Cadets taking on the Cedar Town. What are they called? The Cedar Town Bulldogs. Okay? That's right. So, uh, it's going to be pretty uh, pretty impressive. Uh, Cedar Town comes in being ranked number one all year, 14-0, taking on the Cadets that have, you know, after uh, the early part of their schedule, have been coming on a roll. I think they've won, what? 10 in a row there, buddy, so uh, it should be a heck of a game. Yeah, this one has the makings of – I mean, this is everything you want, I think, in a state championship football game. Like, BC is number four, quote-unquote, in the state. I don't think there's many people left that are that are really thinking that there's three teams in the state better than BC. I think most people would agree Class 4A has the, the two best teams in the state championship game. But what I think is interesting, Carl, that we always talk about these 
and I go with me here because I know this is a little nerdy, maybe not your style. But all of these ratings, like these Maxwell ratings, Massey predictions that we that we talk about throughout the year, they almost never differ from each other, right? They're never they almost always agree. And there's some sort of a pattern. This is this game is not that's not the case because the, the computers don't agree when they simulate the game out and do their predictions. I think Maxwell has them 21-19 Cedartown, I think. And then Massey ratings, which is also just an algorithm, just raw da- data, uh, has BC 28, Cedartown 24. So that those are, I mean, those are two pretty different scores. Not only the winner and loser, but the total number of points, the kind of game that it might be. Um, I, I do think... The, and ha- I've watched Cedar Cedartown like four of their games, uh, not in full, but a lot of their plays. I think the best comp that I can come up with is probably Whitewater from the first round. Um, right. I, I don't know how much you, you've seen or know about Cedartown, but like to me, it won't be a team like they run the option and they're only going to throw it four or five times a game. But it's not going to be your standard typical option offense that's slow, methodical, kind of vanilla. There's a lot of wrinkles to it. But my question to you is, have they played the schedule that Benedictine has? So those the computers also do those, the strength of schedule rankings. And I'm not talking about the GIAA max preps type strength of schedule. I'm talking about a real strength of schedule here, like an actual strength of schedule. And they're within 10 ranking points. I mean, they're within 10 of each other. Um, in the whole state, I think BC's was not as high, like not as tough as Cedar Towns, only because when you when you count the bowl school and Columbus out of Florida, it skews the whole thing because it's an out of state game. And so we know that like we know that the bowl school and that Christopher Columbus are good teams in the state of Florida. So we know that that schedule has been tough. The ratings have Cedar Towns a little tougher, but yeah, they have played a good schedule. I don't think it's like I don't think that fourteen and zero is a fluke. If that's what no. you're like, there's but, some cupcake games in there. Let's be clear about that. BC had a couple of those too, but I think the schedules are pretty comparable. And I would say that, but I would say BC's was a little tougher. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about cupcake games here. Okay, I really not. Not in the back of the day when uh, I was coaching Groves High School. And it was Camden County and the Seven Dwarfs, okay? Uh, I mean, so I'm not talking about that kind of schedule like Camden County had. But I just think that I, I know we go by computers and uh, algorithms and all this other stuff. I just think, though, BC has prepared themselves for this situation in tougher games. Uh, you know, North Oconee is a very good team. Bainbridge is always a good team. I mean, I was shocked that uh, Cedartown blew Stevenson out. 48 to 16 in the first round of the playoff game. And well, the first two games, Cedar Shoals and Stevenson. Stevenson, I played in, in uh, you know, way back when in a playoff game. So, yeah, uh, I watched some of that game and Stevenson, like, there were, it wasn't as bad as it looked, but it, you could just tell that they gave up pr- pretty quick in the second half because they knew it was over. But it could have right. gone a different way in that one. Right, right. So, I mean, from October 7th on, well, not even. I mean, this team has scored 
39 or more points <laughs> in every game except for the last two playoff games. So I, I don't know. I, I just think that, that BC, in my mind personally, yes, you can call me a homer. You could say I'm from Savannah. I just think they played a tough schedule, and I think they got the, 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 the better prepared for this. Oh, like, I agree. I agree. I think BC has played a tougher schedule. But I don't think, like, they're – I mean, if we just want to be honest, like, Spalding, their arrival in the second round – they did not play a tough schedule. Right. Uh, and then, you know, honestly, when you look at Stockbridge, their schedule left a lot to be desired. It, that wasn't a great schedule either. Cedartown is worthy of be of 14-0, I think. And, like, I think the, the, the kind of backstory for, for this game, Carl, maybe Jamie Abrams, the coach that, who's in his third season at Cedartown, I've listened to him on a few interviews. Like I just went to the podcast app and, and searched Jamie Abrams Cedartown to try to listen to a couple of his interviews. If, if anyone listening to this does that, tell me that he doesn't sound exactly like Danny Britt. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the same tone, the same terminologies, the little things, the fundamentals. It's about us. We're getting better. Uh, like it's always just the same constant, consistent – preaching of getting better every single day. And it's, you can tell in the foot, in the way that his football team plays that they respond to that. They're a lot like BC in a lot of ways. For more than 20 years, the prep sports report has been delivering local sports coverage and continues to celebrate youth athletes in the coastal empire. PSR has daily updates on the outstanding student athletes in our area every day, always free to read. No ads, no subscriptions. Led by our guy, Carl DeMossi, PrepSportsReport.com gives fans and parents easy access to top stories and athletes in the 9-1 deuce. All right, so uh, quickly, let's talk about, uh, you know, uh, the, the key Cedartown Bulldog players that you've uh, researched. Uh, we, we know about Tanner, the quarterback, Diamond, the running back, Gardner, the running back. I mean, you got three guys that, you know, 584 yards with Davis, uh, 912 yards with Gardner, uh, you know, Diamond, over 1,200 yards. So tell us about what we're going to expect because it's going to be a run offense. I mean, they average over 300 yards a game running. Uh, 350 yards a game running. They only pass for about 60 to 70 yards a game. So we know we're going to see the ball on the ground. Yeah. So my synopsis of Cedartown offensively is a, they have a ton of seniors and I know that BC is experienced, but a lot of them aren't seniors. Now, I don't know if they're how much you want to buy into that or, or pay attention to that. The difference between a junior and a senior but Reese Tanner, quarterback, senior, three-year starter. Okay, he's been starting since he's a sophomore. Harlem Diamond is sort of their version of Justin Thomas. He's going to get a ton of carries, but even when they throw the ball, uh, which a lot of times they'll throw the ball out of packages where there are no receivers on the field, it'll just be a straight brought back, and then Diamond's coming out of the backfield into the flats. That'll be right. what they do. They want to get – Harlem Diamond the ball as many ways as possible. And he plays on both sides. He's got 18 receptions, 400 yards, eight touchdowns receiving in an option offense. Okay, and that's to go along with his 1,218 rushing yards and 21 touchdowns. And then I guess Tanner, I would qualify him as a game manager, like the quarterback. 
you know, he's not going to light it up, but he's far from a liability. Um, they do a lot of stuff pre-snap, Carl, where they get to the line, they act like they're about to snap it, then they look to the sideline uh, and change the play or act like they're changing the play. So, I, you know, BC fans should probably prepare for that, that kind of, uh, you know, offense. Um, and then the, the one guy defensively, Carl, that's like stands out, and I mean really stands out, is Eli Barrow. He has 174 tackles, Carl, this wow. season. 174 tackles this season, 13 sacks also. And like when you when you see those numbers, you expect a 6'6, 290 pound linebacker. He's not that. He's just an average size guy that, that makes a lot of tackles. So that's my synopsis on Cedartown and their best players. Was that uh was that in-depth enough, you think? Oh yeah, and, and I'm gonna go a little in more in depth on their uh their previous seasons, okay. They've never made it past the uh, Sweet 16, okay? Uh, they, they vote that for the, from 2018 all the way up to this year, the furthest they got is to the second round. So, yeah, they got experience. They got a lot of scenes. But how much experience have they got going deep into the playoffs like this bunch that's coming in from BC? These guys last year, they've been to the championship. And, it, you know, the year before, they've been to the state semifinals. So, uh, yeah, I know we got a lot of seniors – but they don't, in my mind, from, of course, I'm doing this. This is on paper. Uh, I don't think they have much experience in the playoffs. So that's that's my key think, on Cedartown. I thought Cedartown made it to the semifinals last year and lost to Carver. All right. So here, here's what we got previous seasons, okay? So I'll kick it up here for you. All right. And, all right, we got to go back to 2016, 2017. They uh, went to the second round. 2017. 19, they made it to the first round. 2020, they made it to the first round. 2022, uh, yes, they did make it. They didn't make it to the to, to the semifinals last year. So, yeah. But before so, yes, that, they had never been before, before that, that. Never been any further than where they've been at. Huh. Well, it does seem like because they're like, it's where Nick Chubb went to high school. It seems like that they would be. I guess maybe they don't have historically as much in common as BC, but I mean, remember what we said last week about BC, they sort of were always a sleeping giant. We thought right before Danny, oh, yeah. but they weren't actually producing that much. Right. Maybe that's what Cedar towns become in these three years under Abrams. Maybe they're finally cashing in on some of this talent, but they, I know this, that, they, that Abrams talks all the time about, he's a lot like Tim Jordan, where he talks all the time about homegrown kids. Right. Which is code word for that we don't do the transfer stuff. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if that's some sort of like a shot or, or you know, a jab at schools that do that, private schools especially, because they're not having a lot of kids move into Cedartown, Georgia. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so they're, they're different in that way, but – I, I don't know. Do you think, uh, like, do you think BC, like, could you see them doing, like, against Whitewater, they had four plays in the first quarter, BC did. And I was starting to worry that, man, they might only get five, six possessions in this game. And I know sometimes BC will will stall a couple of drives or they'll get, you know, stagnant for a couple of drives where they have to punt, where they might, might go three and out, where they might have a penalty that costs them. 
I, that's the kind of thing that I'd be worried about if I was a BC fan, because once you give the ball back to Cedartown, now they're built to hold it for the next six to eight minutes. Well, that's, that's going to be the key. And then okay. when you get it back, do you want to like rush? Like you got. And I've, I've said it, I've said it a lot of times this all throughout this year with certain games and certain teams. The best defense for Cedartown is to keep BC's offense off the field, and just like Whitewater did, like we said, they did a great job. But once BC made the adjustments on defense, it was a different story. So yeah, it's going to be the same philosophy. You got to keep that Benedictine offense off the field, uh, and uh, and this team. From what we're seeing and what from you watch what I'm seeing on paper is they want to hold the ball and they want to run the ball. And, you know, when you run the ball, the clock moves and you, you keep the other team off the field. So, yeah, I could see I could see BC is going to have to come up with a quick fix if they want to get the ball more in, in the first half. Now, here's another question. We flip the coin and BC knows that, you know, if Cedartown starts with the ball, it might be another white water. Did they, does Danny Britt take the ball? But right now, but we've been saying all along, if I'm the head coach, my defense right now is outstanding. And I think it's where one of the best, maybe I should start on defense and stop them so we have a second chance when the second half starts. So, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of uh, questions that are going to be tossed up in that BC uh, coaches meetings. Yeah, I, I think, like, well, that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point on the coin toss. Now, I don't keep, I keep up with a lot of different stats. I don't keep up with who wins the toss. I just keep up with who gets the ball first, if that makes sense. So I no, know makes sense. BC has gotten it in, to start the second half for the last two games. Um, and, but I don't know if that's – I know Troop County won and, and deferred. Right. So, but that is interesting if they win the coin toss, um, which is the Georgia High School Association's favorite thing to do in the world is to flip the coin. So that will be interesting to, to watch what they do. You know what else has been interesting is that the last two weeks um, – or no, I'm sorry, the last two home games, so against Spalding and against um, uh, Troop last week, an onside kick in both of those games from Danny Britt and the Cadets. So that might be something else to watch as far as special teams go. Uh, and then I guess – if. Should we talk special teams quickly, the, the difference between the Cedartown and BC? All right, we're going to get to that in a second. But, yeah, it, you know, we got to get to the special teams because I think that's going to be a difference, like you're saying, just by the research I read that you did. On BC side, yes, we're going to be missing one of our key players that has been playing all year. Thomas Blackshear will not play. Baker has an ankle injury. But I'm telling you right now, uh, you know, these other kids have been stepping up. Yeah. Yeah, and and – it's a guy like Kieran Glover, the middle linebacker who like doesn't really jump off. I mean, how many times have we talked about him this year? If we're being honest, not too often, but he's always right there. Right. With right. eight and he had 15 tackles last week. Cole Simeon just sort of always five to eight tackles, maybe a tackle for a loss and a sack, but there's so many of them now with the emergence of Brinson, Brian, I expect Baker to at least be a contributor. If he's able to play, which we think he is, he's going to contribute in some way at least. Um, and so they're doing it sort of as a group effort, but there are there is some star power there too. I mean, they, they see a small, Samuels. Samuel, yeah. not Samuels, Samuels. I mean, I mean, he's he's come out of the root work for the uh, for the cadets. I mean, he was he was back up most of the year, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was like a 
he was like getting his carries as like a specialty guy. Like he right. was sort of the lightning to what whoever else was the thunder. Maybe it was Ack Edwards. Now he's running a lot between the tackles. Like he's doing the tough yards too, which which has been impressive. All right. So and you know Luke Cromahawk has been steady. He's been learning. He's you know here you have a quarterback that had no experience at all or hadn't had much experience. Uh, he's he's learned over the, the last 14 games, and uh, he's a threat to run the ball and throw the ball. And uh, that young offensive line is starting to gel because that was a big, uh, you know, Dennis Knight wrote a great article about at the beginning of the year. That was a big question, how this offensive line was going to gel, and they've done a great job. So there's been a lot of good stories for BC. But most of all, and this will be the last segment, is it's going to come down to special teams. And you can tell them why. Yeah, so, like, when you look at the two – like the differences between the two teams, it's pretty radical in the kicking department and in a state title game or in any game where it's two the two best teams going head to head, you would think that three points or, you know, special teams, small things would begin to matter a lot more the closer the teams get in competition level. And so Asher Sigmund for BC has come on of late and let's see what the, the numbers for him are for him and Hudson Grove. I think they've missed two PATs all year, like 64 of 66. Right. Something like that. Cedartown has missed 13 extra points. Like they're 63 of 76. So it's not like they, they don't kick PATs, but they've missed 13 of them. So that's, I mean, that's almost one a game, right? Not a math guy, but 14 games, 13 missed PATs. And then they're also one of four on field goals. And that is important to me because which number is more important, the one or the four? To me, it's the four. That means we're only attempting four field goals all season as an option offense, which tells me on third and eight, third and seven, they know they're going forward on fourth. And so they're they're fine with picking up four. And if you're BC, you probably have to, be okay with that right? and make and, and, you know, trust yourself that you're going to stop them at least one out of every two uh, fourth downs, but the kicking game, I could see that being a big difference. Um, and, and BC has a guy in Asher Sigmund now that they can firmly trust. All right. So here we go. Let's come down to our predictions. Uh, last week I was close. I said 33, 14. I went with, I'm not going to say it was me. I went with the Massey uh, predictions or the Maxwell predictions, whichever one it was. So what, what were they predicting this week? Okay, Massey has BC 28, Cedartown 24. So that's, what, uh, 56 total points, something like right. that? Um, or 56 over-under. And then Maxwell, which is the Georgia-only ratings, the Maxwell ratings that we typically use, that has Cedartown 21, BC 19. So that's 40 total points with Cedartown winning. Um, so basically, no, nobody knows. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to tell you right now. We just talked about it. And I'm an OG. I'm an OG coach. I got a lot of coach's cliches. Offense wins games. Defense wins championships. But tonight, the third team, oh, sorry, tomorrow afternoon the special team game of BC is going to win the championship. I'm going to say it's going to be a close one. I'm going to go 24-21 BC. They win it because 
of their special teams and their field goal kicking unit. All right, so you got 24-21. I'm going to make sure I write this down because – I wrote it down, buddy. I'm going to write yours down too. Because uh, we're going to be a year away until we do this again, and I know you'll try to pretend like you won. So 24-21. <laughs> um, I like BC to win. I like BC to win, but I like I still don't know if it'll be high scoring or low scoring. I can't really right. – tell and, and it's just because of the number of possessions i don't think bc is going to have trouble scoring against cedartown like when it has the ball right um and i do think cedartown is going to be able to like when you rush for over 350 yards a game you're probably going to get at least 200 like you i mean you're going to get yours right i i'm going to say i'm going to go i'm going to err on the side of higher scoring I'm going to say BC 30, Cedartown 20. I'm going to say Cedartown scores three touchdowns and misses an extra point. 30 to 20, 30 to 20 BC. I'm going to go a little lower. I think it's going to be a slugfest. I think it's going to be a slobber knocker. They're both going to try and run the ball. And, you know, going to try and throw the pass, mix the pass in there. We know BC is going to do it 50% of the time because that's what the statistics tell us. But I just think it's going to be a great game. And I think BC with the experience is going to be good enough to win this by at least three points. And uh, I'm going to stick with that. All right. What about this? Let's assume BC wins. Who's the, who's going to be the MVP of the game? You can only pick one. Uh, I got to go with uh, Sigmund, the field goal kicker. Oh, that's a dark horse pick. Yep. That's a dark horse pick. I'm going to go with the opposite of a dark horse pick. I think that they're going the BC is going to ride Saquon Bryan as all, early and often as they can. And I could see him scoring. Uh, I'm going to say that he scores at least two touchdowns um, and maybe throw in an interception in the fourth quarter. That was my other choice. That was the first choice. But I figured if I'm going to stick with my special teams theory, I got to go with a special teamer. And you know what? Danny Britt has proven since he started here at BC – that the field goal game is in the, the special team game or the special team part of the team is special to him and he never neglects it. And I, I just think that's, what's going to be the defining moment for Danny Britt picking up his fourth state title ring. Carl, if, if he picks up his fourth and I know we're not going to get into this, we're, we're going to have to start having the conversation of where Danny Britt ranks amongst Savannah high school sports coaches all time ever, any sport ever. Yeah, we'll get into that. I, I'd like to get into that discussion with you. I mean, he would have to be in the conversation with four titles, right? Maybe I not mean, at the top, but he'd be up. I mean, oh, he'd be up there. There's not many coaches from Savannah that have four state titles. Yeah, I would think Russell Ellington, Tim Jordan, Kevin Farmer, maybe. Kevin Farmer's got some rings too. Yeah. So, all right. Well, I hope it's a good one. I know uh, once again, Travis Dodon will be it. Well, right now, while we're recording this. He'll be at Coach's Corner at 2 o'clock to do a pregame show. He'll also be there at 3.30 to watch the show and give us his breakdown when he writes up the uh, roundup. Uh, anything else you want to let them know? No, yeah, just looking forward to the game on Friday. Uh, I think people know where they can find me now. Uh, Carl, this has been fun to do this all year with you. I mean, it's always a lot of fun, especially talking local sports about these local kids. You being that honorable all-mentioned basketball player you are. So, uh, you know, there's a little flavor right there. One, you know, it's like being a five-star. Once you're an honorable mention all-region uh, 3A basketball player, you're always an all-region 
It's like I, I'm being a member of the Heisman. Like I said, in my own mind, I'm a, I'm a state championship coach, but never have a ring to show it. That's okay. You'll get one. <laughs> I've come close to getting to a state championship, but I haven't been there yet. So, Well, uh, well Danny's got some. He can let you borrow one. Man, he's got I, plenty. I, I'm, happy, I'm happy with my two spal championships and my uh, skis and JV championship. That's, that's the closest thing I've got to championship. So. <laughs> nice. So, all right, I'll talk to you later. And uh, once again, I'm going to say it right here. Go Cadets. Go Cadets, I'll say it. Thanks, Carl. Check out Rubbin' and Grubbin' today. That's the NASCAR podcast on the Coach's Corner Sports Network. Live on YouTube and the Coach's Corner Facebook channel.